Blog Talk Radio. Hi, everybody. This is uh, Silvio Canto in Dallas, uh, Texas, on Wednesday, or actually Tuesday, May the 17th. Uh, I got my dates wrong there. Tuesday, May the the 17th, and today we're chatting. Uh, no, wait a minute. It is, okay, I'm all messed up right now. Is it Tuesday or Wednesday, Richard? Wednesday. Wednesday. Okay. My guest, uh, this is the first time that's ever happened that I've had to use my guest <laughs> as the calendar corrector. But it is Wednesday the the seventeenth, so I, I was hoping to introduce my guest in a different way. But uh, let me introduce my friend uh, Richard Bear, who I got to know several years ago through the American Thinker. And I'm not sure at this point of my life if he is more of a baseball friend than he is a political friend. I guess both, uh, Richard. Yep, I think that works. Yes, and we we exchange a lot of baseball information as well as a lot of other things. Well, today, of course, we're going to talk about politics and the big story. Uh, the big story in the country today is the Durham report and the reaction to that report. I think everybody by now knows what's in it, but the reaction to the report is interesting. So, Richard, let me begin by asking you about the report itself, not the reaction, but just the report itself. Mm-hmm. Um how you you reacted to the information that was in that report, Richard? Right. Well, the first thing is there are people who judge how significant a report is by how many people wound up getting indicted, because supposedly this is a, an analysis of what might have gone wrong or what did go wrong, and who were the actors who created that situation. Uh, and this is a long report, and it follows a process that was close to four years where three people uh, were brought up on charges, one of whom was convicted, got a suspended sentence, served no jail time, and the other two um, basically got off. Though then again, if you're trying to be a, uh, someone accused by a special counsel appointed by Donald Trump uh, and getting a conviction in Washington, D.C., is kind of like uh, getting a fair trial for Donald Trump, say, in New York City. So it's unlikely. But... The report itself is carefully done. Uh, I can't claim to have read all of it. I've read sections of it. I've read many articles that are reviews of it. And I think Durham's a serious guy, just as Michael Horowitz was, who did an earlier and uh, IG report. And they both sort of came to similar conclusions that uh, this was what appears to be a pretty politicized reaction to charges within the FBI and um, reflected a certain fear of a Trump victory and a certain effort to take use this material which was being presented uh, in as serious a way as possible to try to derail him. Um, and you know that's not the FBI's function. Uh, 
And the politicization aspect says nothing about the people all the way down the ranks of the FBI and the people who do most of the work, but it's really a leadership role here. And unfortunately, um, when you uh, appoint people and they're your people, uh, you expect a certain degree of loyalty. And uh, it doesn't look like that's how this was done, especially with with James Comey after he uh, took over. Uh, after Trump, and then uh, he didn't last long, uh, but in part it was because of of his involvement in this effort. Yeah. I found interesting how, you know, and again, all 306 pages is a long book to read, but I I think I've read enough to to get the the gist of it. And what I thought was fascinating is how easy they were able to get this uh, investigation or whatever you want to call it, or the case against Trump, how easy they were able to put that together, right. uh, which would would suggest to me that they need to tighten up a little bit the rules and the FBI for future reference. I, I find it uh, troubling that some people on the other side are saying that this is a nothing burger. Mm-hmm. And I find that troubling because I, I don't think they would be saying that if a future FBI was going after a, a, a Democrat candidate. Mm-hmm. But I... I also think that the people who are saying that this is a nothing burger, they need to maybe go to the psychiatrist and try to get Trump out of their heads because this is, I think, pretty serious, you know, having come from a, a Latin American culture where the, you know, the police is politicized a great deal. Obviously the FBI is, is not a police, but it's a federal police. Right. And the idea that, that you could, you know, politicize something this much, I find that uh, extremely troubling just as a, as a citizen. There's also something else that I found troubling. I don't know if you, if you did too, and that is the idea that apparently Barack Obama, President Obama, was aware or at least was told about this at a meeting. Now, that doesn't mean he approved it. That doesn't mean he went along with it. Uh, but I'm curious. I would love to know what President Obama's role in all of this is, mm-hmm. because that would complicate things a little bit, Richard. Right. Well, apparently John Brennan uh, did a, had a meeting with uh, Obama and top officials to provide information on what they knew. But I think your point is really a, a very important one, which is that there wasn't uh, what you'd call a healthy skepticism about a report that was unsourced that came from one Austri- Australian diplomatic official in England who had one conversation with one individual who spoke to Trump, a Trump working the Trump campaign and had some apparently overstated his role in that campaign. Uh, there was almost an eagerness uh, to pick up on this story. And uh, generally, in a legal system, you want to provide the opportunity for exculpatory information so that you can dismiss charges, you don't have to launch full investigations of things that aren't going to go anywhere. And here it looks like almost exactly the opposite, that there was a, an anxiousness to seize on this. Uh, and, I mean, this was in many ways just a dirty political trick by the Clinton campaign. I mean, right. they paid for this, they leaked it, they talked to people in the government, you know, they obviously had communications with, with favorable journalists. And that's, Kind of a problem, I think, in this country at this point, as, as much as I'm happy to be here, that we're beginning to get kind of dual standards of justice. Right. And that's the perception people have. Even if it's not true, it's the perception people have because of things like this. Right. I mean, you talked about a nothing burger. Just, I, I don't want to go on too long and give you a chance. Yeah, but the, 
the Mueller report, when that came out and basically dismissed the collusion charges, the same people who were saying this is a nothing burger were saying that William Barr had distorted the real report. And it was much right. more serious and complex. So. Right. That was a triple cheeseburger when the Mueller report came out. And this is a nothing burger. Yeah, no, I, I think it's, it's remarkable. And it's remarkable because they're smart people. Mm-hmm. And and I I think, you know, we can all have our own favorite parties or political candidates, but the idea that the FBI would be that quick mm-hmm. to start an investigation, I mean, that should be troubling to everybody. I don't care who you're rooting for. I think one of the reasons, getting to your point, for uh, getting back to the point you were saying about the double standard of justice, I think one of the reasons people feel that way is because they see whether you like Donald Trump or not, and I have not endorsed him for 2024, but whether you like him or not, he does seem to be accused a great deal, and he never gets a chance for cross-examination. Mm-hmm. I mean, he, he's being accused constantly of this and this and this and this and that. And, I mean, the January 6th committee, I thought was a joke. No no cross-examination whatsoever. Mm-hmm. And and this thing. And, and then you, you have people in... in in the in some of the I'm not well, I say maybe not so much the media but some of the cable news programs I'm not sure mm-hmm. if that's the same thing as the media basically defending it and I I happen to think Richard I think one of the biggest losers of all of this are members of the media who who mm-hmm. carried uh, the story I mean I can't tell you the number of times that you know when I made visits here in town with Telemundo or or Univision, when, when I would be invited by them on some Sundays to talk about politics, the number of times that I, I got questions about the president under investigation. Mm-hmm. And that's what they were talking about, this Russia thing. Right. You know, it was being, I mean, I had a guy one time debating with me saying that he was 100% convinced mm-hmm. that Russia and Trump were connected. I haven't talked to that guy since, but if I see him, I love to ask him, please, Tell us the evidence because nobody could find it. So I just find the the reaction of the media, and I think that feeds into this talk of double standard and sense that right. people feel that that it's not working, right. maybe the way it should. Richard, yeah, I I think at this point most people perceive the media as well as high government officials in what are supposedly neutral positions, such as the Central Intelligence Agency or the Federal Bureau of Investigation, as actually being members of teams. They're on your team or they're on the other team. And that's the initial reaction people always have when some story breaks is, how does it affect our team? Does it help or does it hurt? And based on whether it helps or it hurts, that will dictate what the journalist's take on it will be. Um, And I was amused this week because there was a column by the publisher of the New York Times in the New York Times about how the Times standard has to continue to be independent journalism. I mean, they set the agenda every morning for every television station in the country as to what stories they're going to cover. They tell you, push this, and this is how you should push it. Right. Well, I I love, um, I, I would love to have Maggie Hagerman Mm-hmm. of the New York Times tell us uh, about all the stories that she wrote about this Russia thing. And again, it's nothing personal against these people. It's just that for... They're smart. For, I mean, they're, they're bright, they're capable. Yeah. But, then, but, but they have a role, and their role is not the truth. Their role is to get the best outcome they can from what's out there. 
Well, if you have a reporter who for two to three years is, is running these stories about a connection between Russia and Trump, and all the, and the connections are based on sources familiar with the information or with the investigation, you have to ask yourself, I mean, maybe I need a different profession because mm-hmm. I've got some pretty bad sources who are, are feeding me. Uh, I mean, it, it's amazing how much. And I think the tragedy of all of this is that it paints the media all one way, when in fact there are many in the media who did not jump on this, mm-hmm. uh, who were more responsible, I guess, yeah. in, in their coverage, and they're being painted uh, the wrong way. Now, I it's have a... Change, though. They've, they've gotten more partisan yes. in the six, seven years since this started, unfortunately. They really have, and I wonder how much of that has to do with ratings. Uh, you know, I don't know. Yeah, certainly well, in the cable. They made a lot of money off. They, the networks made a lot of money off, off of broadcasting the entire one-hour Trump rallies in in 2016. Yeah, I, you know it's funny. People say that 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 Trump or that the Democrats always win inside the newsroom. That may be true, but I think the people who sell advertising must all be Trump supporters, because it's a heck of a lot easier to sell advertising when you're mm-hmm. talking about Trump. Uh, than everybody else. But, you know, that is the way it is. And I think they've hurt themselves immensely. Look at CNN mm-hmm. and uh, the audience drops that they've had. I mean, I you were telling me uh, earlier today and something that I read about yesterday, how like 350,000 people watching this network. Here's a country of 330 million people. Right. And you've got, I mean, there were more people watching baseball games last night mm-hmm. than watching CNN on primetime. I mean, it's amazing, amazing to me how that works. Um, do you do you see any consequence, Richard, out of this report? Uh, do you not, not? I don't mean somebody going to jail, but maybe somebody saying, "Hey, let's look into this and have further discussion." Do you, do you see that? I, I don't. Uh, I, I actually think that in terms of impact, uh, this will not be great. I think the the Mueller report and Barr's summary of it and early release of it really took a lot of force out of what the left had been pushing for three to four years. This, I think, uh, at its peak was was further back. Again, you're having a release of a report in 2023 about things that happened in 2015 and 2016. I mean, I think most of the people in the country don't care. Uh, and that's unfortunate because in many ways, this looks like a setup. It looks like a coordination between a political party and a campaign and officials in the government and journalists acting as go-betweens or supporters. I mean, it's, it's not a nice story. It's not a good story. Um, and yet, because of the fact that it hasn't led to you know, criminal sentences and uh, people, people being put away, uh, and it's a long report, which makes it more difficult for people to read it themselves and form their own conclusions, I think it'll be short-lived. Yeah. Well, uh, I think you're right, but but I also wonder, you know, I, I wonder if, if if that's because the objective of the report was not criminal. I mean, he was not mm-hmm. given a criminal sure. task. Right. He was given, I mean, I sometimes think that what he was asked to do was to, you know, like to, to do an analysis of a situation, much like people would do in a business situation, or like a front page story on a newspaper right. that just goes into details of, of what happened. Uh, and, and, and maybe that's what it is. I, 
I don't think that the Democrats or the Republicans in the House are going to forget it. They're already talking about inviting uh, Mr. Durham for a session right. in that committee. Yeah. So and, hopefully, and, and and those that that actually is a good opportunity because uh, if you get someone in front of a committee, uh, again, probably only Fox will broadcast it live at this point because he'll be viewed as the enemy of their side. Um, but it's difficult, even if you're a member of the Democratic minority, for instance, in the House, to try to attack a guy who issued a report, which is not a scathing uh, document. I mean, it's it's written with nuance, carefully. Again, it's lengthy, as you mentioned, 306 pages. So you got to be careful that you don't look like you're attacking a messenger when the messenger didn't deliver any knockout blow to you. Um, but on the Republican side, I think they'll try to get as much mileage as they can from this. But, I, you know, back to your earlier point, January 6th uh, and how so many other things like that now have become sort of a common consumer affair. Um, it's the first time in American history that the nominees to a committee appointed by one party were thrown out <laughs> by the Speaker of the House. Right, I mean, I know. That, and that one is. It's just sort of passed people by. It's like not a big deal. You're right. talking about cross-examination. They eliminated anyone who would ask questions that didn't form the party line. Right. I know that was unbelievable, especially for those of us who may remember the Watergate hearings and having both sides, or even the Iran-Contra hearings, having right. both sides. Right. I mean, that, that, was, uh, that was incredible. Let me uh, go on to another issue here uh, in the time that we have, and that is 2024, I continue to believe that it's still pretty early to make a lot of calls. Yep. Uh, the conventions are, I guess, in July or August, which is mm -hmm. uh, a year and a half or 15 months. 15 months, yeah. Yeah, I, I still think that anything can happen. Mm -hmm. uh, obviously, everybody's talking about Trump DeSantis. Uh, I, I think anything can happen on the Democrat side, too. Mm -hmm. So um, I, I want to wait, I guess, about six or seven months before I, I, I feel that I can, you know, I can support one guy or the other, or right. before I feel that something is going to happen. At this point, everybody says Trump DeSantis, but you never know. There may be another person who comes in who, who shakes up the, the, the arena also on the other side, uh, right. Richard. Yeah, I mean, there, there are a couple of things. First is, um, there's again, sort of a media line about the Republican race, because in the Democratic race, the challengers are only Marianne Williamson and, and RFK Jr., and I, I, I actually believe that if Kennedy didn't have the speech defect he has because of his illness, he'd be at 30 or 40 percent now, not 19, because that's how weak a candidate Biden is. Uh, I mean, e even people on the left, committed Democratic voters, are not thrilled about Biden running again. Uh, they see the deterioration in his capability over the last uh, two years. And it's kind of scary to think he's going to be running the country at 86 with and, and, and what our opponents in the world, China, Soviet Union, Russia, Iran, uh, how they must view the United States led by, by such a person. But, but on the Republican side, the, uh, clearly Trump has benefited from essentially obtaining victim status because of the actions in, in, in the Manhattan court, the two Manhattan courts actually. Uh, and the media, especially the left side of the media, are anxious to trash DeSantis because they think they fear him. They think Trump is an easier candidate to beat than DeSantis. Trump has the, clearly a loyal constituency. But the question is, who didn't vote for him in the last two times 
is going to change his mind and vote for him this third time. I think that's a very small pool of voters. So I think he sort of has peaked in terms of his, the capability of how many people he can get to the polls. Maybe Republicans can do better on mail ballots and everybody will benefit. But I, I think, like you say, it's too early to tell. DeSantis isn't an official candidate. I expect his numbers to go up once he enters. I mean, he has made a couple of mistakes. Uh, I don't think he should have gotten involved in this Kentucky primary for governor, especially late in the game. His comment about Ukraine, he had to sort of walk back a little bit. Uh, and a national campaign is different than a state campaign. I mean, you learn this when you do it. Uh, you know, someone who's always been a media performer like Trump, it's a different situation than someone who is who actually is a working governor. And that's DeSantis' best argument. He's been an effective governor. The fact that Florida gave a 19% win in a state that's always one, two, three-point margins for the victors is, is kind of remarkable. Uh, I mean, there's only been one time that a candidate won by over 10 points statewide in Florida before this in the last 20 years. Yeah, no, I agree. He's got a lot of things going for him, DeSantis, but it's different. You're right. It's different running a, a national campaign. I mean, sometimes candidates have to run and lose like Reagan in 76 right. or other cases and then come back. Right. Uh, no, that's true. And, and true. sometimes that, that can happen too. But I like DeSantis a lot. I, I think he can be very effective. I also think there's some other candidates. Sure. Uh, put a plug in for our Governor Abbott, mm-hmm. who probably nobody's thinking about, but I think has been a very effective governor. I, I, I like governors in general. I mean, you yeah, I do too. Like someone who's been an executive. That's right. And I like Governor Youngkin a lot in, mm-hmm. in Virginia. And, and that's because he he's in tune, or he's connected, I should say, to one issue that I believe will be a, a strong mm-hmm. issue. And that is public education and school choice. And he won in a state that's become almost a blue state. Yes. That's no right. easy thing to do. That's right. And then I, I like Governor Kemp of Georgia. Mm-hmm. He seems to be a, a level-headed guy. So, I mean, there's, there's a lot of good choices out there. And I'm sure I left out uh, a couple of them. But there's a lot of good choices out there, which I think makes it could make for a more interesting uh, Republican primary. I don't see a lot of choices on the other side, though. Yeah. Well, I mean, if, if, if Biden stays in the race, in other words, if yeah. there's a point where the Democratic leadership says he's going to go down even to Trump, they'll force him out. And uh, if they force him out, you have elected officials who could step in to try to compete. Uh, Governor Newsom, uh, Governor Whitmer of, of Michigan. Um, you also have Michelle Obama, which is kind of the wild card out there. And uh, there was an article just in The Wall Street Journal by a former Clinton pollster saying that she would be a very strong candidate. Hint, hint, <laughs> don't risk don't risk a defeat with Biden. Uh, and, and even he has, reflects the sort of Democratic view that Trump is almost an alien. And the idea of keeping him from the White House justifies all the legal charges. How many other people in the country would be brought up on all the charges Trump has in as many venues <laughs> If he weren't Donald Trump and he weren't a past president and running for president again, I think right. for all his personal foibles, which may be, which are probably many, um, there's clearly a uh, targeting going on here. Oh, absolutely. No, I'm, I've never seen anybody targeted like Trump, but, you know, there's never really been a Donald Trump before either. Okay. Well, Richard, I wanted to ask you one more quick question about what did you what was your reaction to the to the CNN town hall meeting? 
mm-hmm. I'll quickly tell you mine. My my reaction was that I thought it was supposed to be a town hall meeting, and it 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 became you know this lady Caitlin Caitlin Collins and and President Trump arguing, which I really didn't want to watch. That I thought the mm-hmm. questions coming from the audience were really good, uh, Richard. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, no, I agree. The town hall is not the same as having an interview on camera with a fan club, which is kind of what this was. And, you know, I think CNN was sort of trying out this woman and see how she does in a national venue like this with a lot of pressure on her. Um, And, you know, Trump obviously is looking forward to being baited. I mean, that's part of his shtick is to to deal with this and to tell off the corrupt journalism and so on. Right. So, I mean, both of them got what they wanted from it. So That's right. Well, I think Trump got what he wanted. I'm not sure that CNN got what it wanted in the sense that they're still down in the in viewership. So I, I don't know if, if they did. But I, I want to thank you, as always, Richard, for joining us and for your time and for all the great work that you do. I want to thank you very much. And uh, hopefully we will do this a couple of more times as the 2024 campaign unfolds. Uh, over the next year or so, Richard. Thank you so much for your time. A pleasure to be here, and congratulations on becoming a regular columnist for American Thinker. Yes, yes, that's always a lot of fun. I always try to, always try to write something different. You know, hopefully, exactly. hopefully the editors over there don't uh, don't uh, think that I use too many examples from pop music to make my. <laughs> to make, I think I think they're very happy with your material. Well, thank you so much, uh, and if anybody from American Thinker is watching, thank you for giving me uh, an opportunity. Have a great day, Richard, and uh, we hope to do this again very soon. Bye-bye, everybody. Very good. Thanks, Fabian. All right. My pleasure. Our good friend, uh, Richard Baer, as he uh, joins us today. Richard, of course, uh, I met him through the American Thinker, and we stayed in touch. But my reference to the baseball uh, friendship that we've developed is that we communicate quite often about uh, baseball. We both have an interest in that, and uh, that's something that that we both love a great deal. Thank you for listening. This is uh, Silvio Canto in Dallas, and we'll talk to you later. Bye-bye, everybody.